Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries. Today we're going to continue our Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. And today we'll finish chapter 3 and then we'll begin chapter 4. If time permits, we'll finish the Gospel of Luke today. So go ahead and turn to chapter 23, verse 50, and let's get into it. Now last time we took a look at Jesus' trial and his crucifixion. So today, let's finish taking a look at the burial of Jesus. We're going to begin our scripture with verse 50 that says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now let's stop there for a moment. Let's go back up to verses or to verse 50. And I'll take a look at verses 50 through 54. We have up to this time Joseph, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. And although he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he did not agree with the verdict in the case of Jesus. Now Joseph went boldly to Pilate and he asked Pilate if he might have the privilege of removing the body of Jesus from the cross and to give his body a proper burial. Now the time was between approximately 3 and 6 p.m. Now we have Pilate granting permission and so Joseph goes ahead and takes the, down the body, he wraps it in linen, and he lays the body in a tomb that scripture says was hewn out of a rock. And this grave or this burial tomb had never been used up to this point in time. This event happens on a Friday, the day of preparation. Now when it says that the Sabbath drew near, we must remember that the Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday at sunset. Now Luke assures his readers of the credentials of Joseph who offered to bury Jesus. He again presents someone who is qualified to affirm by word or action that Jesus was a just and innocent man. And by inference, therefore, the claims of Christianity are valid. Joseph was a righteous Jew. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, as verse 51 says. And so he joins others in Luke whose piety and expectation of the Messiah validate their own testimony. Joseph was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. But Joseph had disagreed with their decision against Jesus. So Joseph lays the body in a tomb, a tomb that was cut in the rock. And we still see these kinds of tombs today in the rocky hillsides that are in Palestine. And Luke goes on to note here in verse 55 and 56 the women's careful preparation of the spices in advance of Easter morning as we know it. The women did not do this on the Sabbath, even though Jewish tradition apparently would have allowed care for the dead on the Sabbath. In this way, Luke stresses one more time the fidelity of Jesus and his followers to the Jewish laws. These faithful women from Galilee, they followed Joseph as Joseph takes this body to the tomb and puts it inside. 
Now, in burying the body of Jesus, Joseph also buried himself, in a sense, himself. The act that separated him forever from the nation that crucified the Lord of life and glory. He would never be a part of Judaism again. He would live in moral separation from it and testify against it. Now on Saturday the women rested, which was in obedience to the commandment that concerns the Sabbath during that time. And with that we close chapter 23. Now we have one more chapter in the book of Luke, chapter 24. We have the Son of Man's, who is Jesus, we have his triumph. We're going to take a look at his resurrection. And in Luke chapter 24, it not only presents this climatic event of the resurrection, but it's also going to include a summary of the saving mission of Christ. The ascension with which this chapter and the book concludes is the final goal of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now it's also going to set the scene for the church's ministry that is recorded in the book of Acts. Now the first section narrates events at the empty tomb. And it's going to contain elements that Luke uses to further his unique theological perspective. So join with me here as we start with verse 1. I want to read up to verse 12 about Jesus is risen. So verse 1 begins now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And the words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. So we have the women at the empty tomb with verses 1 through 3. And all four Gospels specify the first day of the week as the day of resurrection. This became the day of Christian worship. The change from the traditional and biblical Sabbath is in itself is strong evidence of the resurrection because it shows the strength of the disciples' conviction about what happened on that day. Then on Sunday, at early dawn, they made their way to the tomb. They're carrying their spices, which they had already prepared for the body of Jesus. But how did they expect to get to his body? Did they know that a huge stone had been rolled against the mouth of the tomb? We're not told this answer. All we know is that they loved him dearly, and love is often forgetful of difficulties in order to reach its object. Verse 1, their love was early astir and was richly rewarded in verse 6. There is still a risen Lord for the early riser. And Luke refers to the time of the day by the general statement that it was very early. Now, when the women arrived at the tomb, they found the stone 
rolled away from the mouth of the tomb. And Luke specifically states that the body of the Lord was not there. As soon as they went in, they saw that the body of the Lord was missing. It is not difficult at all to imagine their perplexity. Now, while they were still trying to reason it out, here in verses 4 and 5, we have two angels in shining garments. They appeared to them and they assured them that Jesus was living. It was futile to search for him in this tomb. Jesus had risen, just as he had promised when he was still with them in Galilee. Had Jesus not foretold them that the Son of Man had to be turned over to sinful men and be crucified, and then on the third day he would rise again, then that's when it all come back to them. Once again, Luke describes someone pondering a remarkable event because Luke speaks of two men in the tomb who address the women. This mention of two men seems consistent with his other references to witnesses to Jesus, such as Simon and Adam, or Anna. Now, two witnesses are the minimum number required for validation. And we refer to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, that says, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. We also see in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 5, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. That Luke understands that the two men were angels is evident from what he says of them in verse 23, and from his description of their clothes as gleaming like lightning. Not only were the women frightened, but in their fear, they bowed face down to the ground. And fear is a typical response in the presence of a supernatural visitation. The living stresses the factual aspect of the resurrection. So the angels, verses 6 to 8, show the meaning of the empty tomb by repeating the essence of the three passion predictions. They begin with the words, remember how he told you. Now perhaps implying that what the women should have understood earlier, the resurrection, has now clarified. The third prediction, chapter 18, verses 31 to 33, which was followed by a statement that the saying was obscure, hidden from them. The resurrection is the time for revelation and understanding. And Luke centers the rest of his attention on Jesus' appearances in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the city of destiny in Luke. So the women returned hurriedly to the city, and they tell the news to these 11 disciples. And remember, there's 11, not 12, because Judas hung himself after he betrayed Jesus. So that left 11. Now among those first heralds of the resurrection, we have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Now, at this point, as we take a look at verses 9 through 12, Luke reports the names of these women. Now, while the witnesses of women was not acceptable in those days, nevertheless, Luke records their testimony. The apostles were unable to comprehend the reality that these women were trying to convey. The disciples didn't believe them at all. It was just an old wives' tale, if you will. It was so incredible. It was so 
fantastic. That is what they thought until Peter makes a personal visit to the tomb. When Peter gets there, he sees the linen clothes lying there by themselves. Now, these claws that has been tightly wound around the body, and we're not told whether they were unwound or whether they may have still been in the shape of the body, but we are safe in presuming the latter. It appears that the Lord may have left the grave clothes as if they had been a cocoon. But the fact that the grave clothes were left to remove the coverings. And Peter returns to his house still trying to solve the mystery. The mystery of what did this all mean? Now, this reluctance to believe has an important relation to the evidences for the resurrection. The disciples were not expecting this event. They cannot be called fit subjects for hallucination, as some would have them made out to be. The strips of linen in the tomb used in the burial of Jesus bear their silent but eloquent testimony to the absence of Jesus' body. And Peter is going to leave wondering about this to himself. Now as we continue, we're going to take a look on the Emmaus Road. And the Emmaus story is a literary and spiritual Jew, a jewel. It is at once a moving story. It's a testimony to the resurrection. It's an explanation of the empty tomb and an occasion for Luke to summarize several of his major themes. So let's take a look at that, beginning with verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to him, What kind of conversion is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now as they proceeded, we have this stranger to them that come along beside them. And we know because of the scriptures it was the risen Lord. It was Jesus himself. But they did not recognize him. He asked them what they had been talking about. Now, at first, they stopped short. A picture of abject misery. Now, one of the two Emmaus disciples was, was a man named Cleopas. We know this from Scripture. Now, we do not know the identity of the other one. Now, one tradition is that it may 
have been Luke himself, but we don't know. All we can be sure of is that it was not one of the original 11 disciples. But at any rate, the two were sadly rehearsing the death and the burial of the Lord as they returned from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the Bible tells us it was a journey of about seven miles. The opening words of verse 13 link this story with the entire Easter event. As two travelers are talking together, they experience this presence of Jesus. Thus, it's a valid witness that is provided. The words of them do not clearly identify who these two are, but we know that they're not two of the 11 disciples. Now, they probably they could have been two of the followers of Jesus who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover so that they may have been among the disciples who lauded Jesus on his triumphal entry to the city and maybe now they were just returning home. But the fact is that this event occurs when these two were going which continues the traveling theme that's so prominent in the book of Luke, especially in his unique central section that we had in chapter 9, verse 51, to chapter 19, verse 44. We have that section beginning as Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. And now these two are leaving the same city. Now, shortly after the earlier journey to Jerusalem began, a man had approached Jesus regarding discipleship as they were walking. Now, the book of Acts will continue the theme of Jesus' disciples traveling, going from Jerusalem to Rome, and ultimately to the ends of the earth as witnesses. Now, as for the identity of Emmaus, this is uncertain, though it is a village that was near Jerusalem. Now, as these two are talking about the events that are surrounding Jesus' resurrection, we can read between the lines of their dialogue. Luke shows their bewilderment. Luke introduces Jesus into the story with the empathetic Jesus himself and comments that Jesus walked along with them. But we also see that they're being kept divinely from recognizing him. It's a, a divine passive me is a means of connoting that an action is actually the work of God himself. So we have Jesus without them recognizing him in verses 17 to 18. And Jesus asked the two men a question about their conversation. And it is striking that when Jesus addressed them, the two travelers stopped short and they stood still. Their attitude at that point was gloomy, perhaps even sullen. And uh, Cleopas the one that is named, expressed surprise that even a stranger in Jerusalem couldn't have been aware of what had happened. He couldn't believe that someone was unaware of all the events that had just taken place. So Jesus draws them out further in the conversation with the question, why, what happened? Now they answered by first paying tribute to Jesus. Then they reviewed his trial and his crucifixion. They tell of their dashed hopes, then of reports that his body was no longer in the tomb. And indeed, some angels had given assurance that he was alive. Now what follows constitutes an affirmation about the person and the work of Christ and that is of great significance for our understanding of Jesus and of Luke's perception of Jesus that's recorded elsewhere. 
the importance of the affirmation of these two here in chapter 24, verse 19, must not in any way be underestimated. It is integral to Luke's theology and his purpose. Jesus was a prophet, recalls the passage in chapter 4, where Jesus clearly identified himself with the prophets. Now, while in Luke's narrative, Jesus is perceived as a prophet, the resurrection affirmed him to be much, much more. And as the two on the Emmaus Road are going to learn very quickly. Now, verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers, as in contrast to the receptive people of verse 19, it was them, the chief priests and rulers, who handed him over for crucifixion. In verse 21, the words, but we, provide still another contrast. Unlike the rulers, they hoped that Jesus would bring deliverance. The past tense used here is under the present circumstances. It's a pathetic reminder of their inability to recognize Jesus or to believe the reports of the empty tomb. Their expectation that Jesus would redeem Israel recalls the words of Zechariah. Now in the verse or in the view of verse 46 and the passion predictions the term third day had a significance to Luke's readers. What should have been the day of hope realized was for them the day of hope extinguished. The final incomprehensible element in these travelers reports was the report of the empty tomb. The mention of the angels shows that this is what Luke meant by men that we saw in verse 4. Verse 24 recalls verse 12. The empty tomb without the appearance of Jesus himself was inadequate. It ironically becomes the last sad part of their confused response to Jesus' question when he asked, What things? Now in verses 25 to 27, we see that Jesus lovingly chided them for not realizing that this was exactly the pathway which the prophets of the Old Testament had foretold for the Messiah. First, Jesus must suffer. Then he would be glorified. Now, beginning at Genesis and continuing all through the books of the prophets, the Lord reviewed all the scriptures which referred to himself the Messiah. It was a wonderful Bible study for them and how we would love to have been with him during that time. But we have the same Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us. So we also can discover in all the scriptures the things concerning Jesus. Now Jesus himself speaks. And keep in mind though, he is still unrecognized. Jesus, who in his transfiguration was superior to Moses and Elijah, now invokes Moses and the prophets to substantiate the divine plan of his path from suffering to glory. Now the word all in verse 25 is a warning not to treat the scriptures selectively. Such selectivity could lead to the omission of the Messiah's suffering in verse 26. But the Christ, the Messiah, did have to suffer. He had to or must is one of the Luke's key ideas. The future glory of the Christ in verse 26 was mentioned in the context of the Passion Prediction ascribed there to the Son of Man. And here it refers to the honor anticipated in the Old Testament for the Messiah, including the resurrection. Now we refer to Acts chapter 17, verse 2, when Paul quotes the Old Testament to prove the necessity of both the suffering and the resurrection of the Messiah. For several reasons, verse 25 
to 27 are vitally important. With great clarity, they show that the sufferings of Christ, as well as his glory, were predicted in the Old Testament. And that all the Old Testament scriptures are important. Now, they also show that the way the writers of the New Testament used the Old Testament had its origin, not in their own creativity, but in the post-resurrection teachings of Jesus, of which this passage is a paradigm. Now, the passage also exemplifies the role of the Old Testament in Luke's own theology. Although he does not directly quote the Old Testament scriptures as many times as Matthew does, nevertheless, he alludes frequently to the Old Testament. And he demonstrates that what God has promised must take place and employing a proof from prophecy apologetic for the truth of the gospel. Now let's move in to verses 28 to 35. The disciples' eyes opened. Verse 28 begins, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went, went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished. From their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So by now, the disciples were nearing their homes. They invited this fellow traveler to spend the night with them. And at first, Jesus acts courteously, as if he were going to continue on his journey. He was not going to force an entry, but they prevailed to him to stay with them and how richly they were rewarded by doing so. The invitation for Jesus to stay with the two follows an old ancient custom of hospitality in biblical times. As the afternoon drew on and supper time approaches, this stranger would need some food and lodging. Now Jesus had acted as if he was going to continue with his journey. Now, such a gesture would, like the invitation itself, would be appropriate in the custom of, of those days. This polite action seems intended to draw out a very strong response from Cleopas and his companion, who indeed then urged him strongly to stay. The recognition scene that we have is one of the high points of this story. Because once again, we find a table scene, if you will, that is so characteristic in the book of Luke. But what is remarkable is that Jesus took the role of the host and breaks the bread and gives thanks. Now, this is recalling the feeding of the 5,000 as well as the Last Supper, though it was not a celebration of the latter. Now, when they sat down for the evening meal, Jesus, the guest, takes the place of the host. This frugal meal became a sacrament, that the home became a house of God. That's what Christ does wherever he goes. And they who entertain him will be well entertained in return. The two had opened to Jesus their home. And now Jesus opens their eyes. As Jesus breaks the bread and passed it to them, they find out it is Jesus for the first time. 
Had they seen the print of the nails in his hands? We only know that their hand, that their eyes had been miraculously opened to recognize him. And as soon as this happens, Jesus vanishes immediately. Now, as to whether it was through the actual breaking of bread or through divine intervention that the moment of truth came and the two disciples recognized Jesus, the answer must be that it was probably through both. Now, whether or not the two noticed the nail scars, Jesus acting as host led to the recognition. Now, at the same time, the passive verb, were open, does imply divine action. God is the revealer of the risen Christ. And note the repetition of Jesus' opening the scriptures and later their minds. And we have this narrative ending abruptly as Jesus disappeared. Cleopas and his companion reflect on their feelings with intense inner warmth. The specific occasion of these feelings is the presence of the Lord and his expounding on the Old Testament. They retrace the day's journey. And no wonder the hearts had burned within them while Jesus talked with them and opened their scriptures. Their teacher, their companion, had been the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now this encounter probably took place in the afternoon because in the early morning Jesus had already appeared to Mary Magdalene. He also appeared to the other women. But these two disciples had only heard the report that the tomb was empty and that the angels had announced that Jesus was risen. So as we continue to verse 33, we'll see that Jesus appears to the two. The words at once continue the chronology of the resurrection day. Instead of spending the night at Emmaus, they race back to Jerusalem and they find the eleven and all the others who are assembled together. Now, the term the eleven is a general term to indicate the original band of the disciples that excludes Judas. And actually, not all the eleven were present as we learn from John chapter 20 verse 24, but the term is still used in a collective sense. Now before the Emmaus disciples could share their joyful news, the Jerusalem disciples jubilantly announced that the Lord had really risen and he had appeared to Simon Peter. The reunion with the eleven brought assurance to all as the two disciples fulfilled the role as witnesses. And again, we have two. Then it was the turn of the two from Emmaus to say, yes, we know, because he walked with us. He came into our home. He revealed himself to us in the breaking of bread. They especially spoke of recognizing Jesus when he broke bread with them. Now let's take a look at the appearance to the disciples, the appearance to the eleven as we've been talking about in verses 36 to 34 here. This is the third Easter narrative in Luke. In the first, Jesus is not seen. In the second appearance, he, who is Jesus, appears to two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Now this time, Jesus is going to appear to the eleven. The events that Luke tells us of here provide the substance for his apologetic for Jesus' bodily resurrection in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 to 4 where it says to whom he also and he is Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things 
pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And Peter's witness to Cornelius, where we have Acts chapter 10, verses 40 to 43, that says, Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that. Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. In this story, it is not Jesus' resurrection as such that is being proved, but the fact that the sudden visitor was indeed Jesus, who was now presented in a tangible body. So let's take a look at our scriptures here, verses 36 to 43. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit, and said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. So we have, once again, Luke, who carefully connects the events after the crucifixion, chronologically, with the words, while they were still talking about this. Suddenly, Jesus himself stood among them, and he greeted them which, with a typical Semitic greeting with the word, peace. Now Luke's gospel opened with a terrified Zechariah in the unexpected presence of an angel. Now near its end here in Luke, he describes the fright of the disciples at the unexpected appearance of the risen Christ. Now one might have thought they would not respond in this way since they had just been hearing about Jesus' appearance on the Mass Road, but whereas in that case... Jesus had walked up to Cleopas and his companion, as any traveler might. But this time, he appears suddenly. He's just there. And equally surprising to the reader are their doubts. These are significant for any who think that the disciples were expecting the resurrection and therefore projected their hopes into a hallucination. Jesus identifies himself very emphatically. It is I myself. The methods of crucifixion varied slightly, but Jesus apparently had nails in his hands and his feet. And by seeing and by touching, it would convince the disciples. Luke mentions the body of Jesus. And here he again draws attention to the physical aspect of the resurrection. The resurrection body of the Lord Jesus was a literal, tangible body of flesh and bones. It was the same body which had been buried. Yet it was changed in that it was no longer subject to death. With this glorified body, Jesus entered a room. Now keep in mind, Jesus entered a room when the doors were closed. This is what he did on that first Sunday night. The disciples looked up and they saw Jesus and then they hear Jesus say, Peace to you. 
They were seized with panic. They were probably thinking it was a ghost. Only when he showed them the marks of his passion, the nail holes in his hands and his feet, did they start to begin to understand. And even then, it was almost too good to be true. So, in order to show them it was really Jesus himself, Jesus asked for something to eat. Jesus eats some broiled fish and a piece of honeycomb that they give him. We see that it's a beautiful human touch. Jesus provides this further evidence of his physical presence by eating. Uh, now, as a quick side note here, when Jesus appears to the eleven, as I said earlier, the group was referred to as the eleven. And I said that not everyone was there. In this case, there were only ten. Because Thomas was absent. The one that we call Doubting Thomas today was absent. But we note that their joyous belief, and we note also their disbelief. Even after Jesus had shown them his hands and his feet, faith and doubt alternate. They go back and forth. So let's go ahead and continue as we see the scriptures open with verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem, till you are endued with power from on high. So let's take a look at this opened understanding. These verses may be a summary of the Savior's teaching between his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus explained that his resurrection was the fulfillment of his own words to them. Had Jesus not told them that all the Old Testament prophecies concerning him had to be fulfilled? The law of the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were the three main divisions of the Old Testament. And taken together, they signify the entire Old Testament. What was the burden of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ? Well, let's take a look at them. They were that he, Jesus, must suffer. Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 to 21. And bear with me, I feel this is important for us to read. Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 to 21, where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. 
Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging, a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a postured, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, listen to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. We also have in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 9. And it's important to look at these scriptures. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. From the transgressors of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So we see that Jesus had to suffer. The second thing we have to realize is that Jesus had to rise again from the dead the third day. Psalm 16 chapter or Psalm chapter 16 verse 10 for you will not leave my soul in shoal nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 where it says now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights in Hosea chapter 6 verse 2 it says after two days he will revive us on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight the third point to remember is that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus opened their understandings to comprehend all these scriptures. In fact, this is a chapter that's full of open things. We have an open tomb. We have an opened home. We have eyes that were opened. The scriptures were opened. We have opened lips. We have opened understanding. And we also have heavens that are opened. Now from time to time, Luke has taken care to show that whatever the Lord has said unfailingly takes place. That implication is perhaps present in the words, this is what I told you. Now Luke has a double emphasis in these verses. For not only had Jesus predicted the events that had happened, but the Old Testament had predicted them also. And the clause, while I was still with you, is a way of distinguishing 
between the days of Jesus's earthly ministry and his temporary post-resurrection ministry before his ascension. The words or the, the term law, prophets, psalms, expands Moses and all the prophets in verse 27 by adding the psalms as a major component of the Old Testament, the third division called the writings. We see in verse 31 the eyes of the two on the way to Emmaus were opened. Now Jesus has opened the disciples' minds in verse 45 to the scriptures. We have this formula on the third day, which goes back to the first passion prediction. Even the widespread preaching of repentance and forgiveness was predicted in the Old Testament. Such scriptures as Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. And as a light to the Gentiles, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising may underlie verse 47 here. The fulfillment began in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, for the forgiveness of, sin, of sins. Now the disciples were witnesses of the resurrection. Now they must go forth as heralds of this glorious message. But before they can go, they must wait for the promise of the Father. They must wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Then they would be endued with divine power to bear witness to the risen Christ. The Holy Spirit was promised by the Father in the Old Testament with passages such as Isaiah 44, 3, where it says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. And again in Joel chapter 2 verse 28 where it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that it will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your younger men shall see visions. The Gentiles heard these words in the book of Acts chapter 10 43 where it said to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And let's not forget Acts chapter 17, verse 30. It says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And Paul's commission in the book of Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18, where it says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And lastly, before we end today, the idea of reaching the Gentiles is certainly prominent in the book of Luke. Also, the place of Jerusalem as the base of the mission accords with Luke's constant featuring of that city. And likewise, Luke has stressed the place of witnesses, and he continues to do so in the book of Acts. Therefore, verse 48 supports his emphasis, what the Father promised, verse 49, is the Holy Spirit, who is indeed the promised power, this power from on high has been known in Luke from the very beginning of his narrative for the son of God was conceived in Mary when the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was overshadowed 
by the power of the Most High. So now Luke concludes where he began. And with that, we must end for today. Next time we will finish chapter 24, and then we'll start the book of, of Mark, which is a great book. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian Strong.